This is episode 41, Is Your Information Secure with Morgan Wright? And either you hear that title and you're saying, hell yes, Erica, my information is absolutely as secure as it possibly can be, duh. Or you're like, what information and why does it need to be secure? (laughs) So just know wherever you are on the spectrum of answering this question that this episode is going to knock your socks off and maybe even frighten you a little bit because we are diving into the world of cybersecurity with a very well-known expert who happens to also be my buddy, a good friend, someone I've had the pleasure of spending time with in some of the most glamorous places in the U.S. like Jefferson City, Missouri, Springfield, Illinois, Salem, Oregon. (laughs) And yes, there is a bit of sarcasm in my voice, no offense to anyone who lives in those places, but I met our guests while traveling the country for my day job when I planned government technology conferences in a lot of state capitals. And he was our keynote speaker more than once to talk about cybersecurity and so much more. And I'm excited to bring this conversation to you in an extremely accessible format. So don't glaze over if you're like, Seb or what? Um, It's really, really interesting and it's really, really important that we all try to understand this at least to the most foundational and basic degree. So let me tell you a little bit about Morgan Wright. Morgan is an internationally recognized expert on cybersecurity strategy, cyberterrorism, and advanced technology. His landmark testimony before Congress on healthcare.gov changed how the government collected personally identifiable information. He's made hundreds of appearances on national news, radio, print, and web, and has spoken to audiences around the world. And now we bring him to you on There's a hack for that. And I think it's so fun and important that we're able to bring him to you because I was lucky to be exposed to the world of cybersecurity and the importance of protecting our data and our information about 10 years ago when I got my job with government technology. And I started traveling the country and getting to speak to some of the brightest minds in IT around the country. And it's maybe something you don't think about every day until you have to. So my advice for this episode is go in with an open mind, no matter how much you know about cybersecurity, and don't get too overwhelmed. And just remember, you can always listen again or go seek out more information and resources from Morgan. There's some free resources in the show notes and his website and all of that good stuff. And of course, if you find value in this episode today and you know someone else in your life who maybe needs to have this information, I'm sure you'll be able to think of a few people. Please, please, please do us a favor and just share the episode. You can go right to your favorite podcast platform and there's usually an option option to copy the link or just directly share to your text messages or however you want to email so we can just get this information into the right hands, into more people's hands that need it. And then also, if you feel called, please rate and review. It really helps us know what we're doing well, what we can improve, and we love you, our listeners, so much. So let's get to it. Let's learn about securing our information with Morgan Wright. Today, I'm honored to welcome a friend, a colleague, a mentor of sorts of mine, Morgan. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day and for being here with us. I remember Springfield, Illinois, (laughs) when a young Erica (laughs) 
was just getting started. What books should I read? What should I do? And look at you now. I know. You now are I'm all a, over the look at the content you have. You know, when the student podcaster. is ready. <laughs> yeah, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So Yeah. Morgan witnessed one of my very first, I'd say probably like my fifth or sixth time on stage at an event. And you're actually one of the few people in my life that actually know what I do for my day job. Most people just think I work for the CIA. Like they're just like so well, nobody ever you... really works for the CIA. We'll talk right. about that later. You yes. are very <laughs> mysterious, Erica. They, thank you. I strive for that. <laughs> uh, her or me? I thought I was mysterious. Well, I just met you, so. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about probably the most exciting topic we've ever had, right, Lauren? I- I'm cyber excited. Security, I love information technology, cyber terrorism, privacy. Um, no, that was that was kind of being funny, but it is an important topic, and I know a lot about this just because I've been engrossed in it in my day job for the last ten years. I'm not an expert like Morgan, so that's why we're bringing him in to talk to us. But I would say that I'm going to go out on a limb and say the majority of our audience is probably relatively new to this topic. Mm-hmm. Like maybe like they we know what cybersecurity is, and there's definitely I think been a, an increase in cybersecurity awareness in the workplace with the state of the, the world now. And maybe we've heard of the big breaches in corporate America. But I think, Morgan, today we're going to have to go easy on everyone and really take it from that newer perspective. Lauren, would you would you agree with that? Yes. And I'll, I'll, I'll play the role of I don't know anything about this. And my, my accounts have been actually compromised in a number of some of those. So I have like that experience too, but I'll, I'll play the, uh, I don't know what we're talking about today role. Yeah. So you can stop us and be like, can you please define that? Thank you. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We'll, we'll look, um, I've testified before Congress before, so I'm used to speaking at the third grade level. So don't worry. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Right where I'm at. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> to get things started, I think, or you have such a cool background and wealth of knowledge and experience. So just give us the short version of how you got to the point where you are today, where you are this internationally recognized expert on these topics. Well, I paid for that tagline too. So thank you for using it. I make money every time you say that. No, um, no it's, I started off 18 years state and local law enforcement, state trooper, detective. One of the things I got into early was technology. I did a lot of the behavioral stuff. I used to, I, I went through the original serial crime profiling course with the FBI when they were teaching it to state and local law enforcement, went through the violent criminal apprehension program. But for some reason, it, I, I tell you what stuck with me is I saw a poster one time and it showed Bill Gates on one side and Michael Jordan on the other. And on Michael Jordan, it says he makes this much money. He makes this many millions. Bill Gates was making as much as Michael Jordan did in a year. He was making that in a week. So it really kind of told you if you're going to, you know, looking out said, hey, look, technology is the way it's going to be. So I went back to school, got a degree in computer information systems um, and Moved out to Virginia, and a lot of my work originally was in the justice, the intelligence community. Uh, before 9-11, I was actually down in Bogota, Colombia, working on Plan Colombia, helping them build some big systems to manage intelligence off of the assets they seized from the narco traffickers uh, and all the bad people. And this wasn't, you know, this is only uh, seven years after Pablo Escobar was killed. By the way, one of two of my buddies are Javier Peña and Steve Murphy, the Narcos uh, Netflix series. That's actually one of the guys I'm doing a podcast with, so... So we get the real story on that. So, but it was not too long after that. But you know, we started seeing big things happening uh, after nine eleven. Obviously, the world changed, uh, and the things that we were using technology for changed. So, I spent a lot of time working on that. Worked on some big projects down at the Department of Justice on information sharing, consolidation of the terrorist watch list, 
but I was in the private sector at that time. So I worked for companies like uh, SAIC, a defense contractor, Unisys, um, Bearing Point, a consulting company. And then eight years, I was at Cisco. And during the time I was at Cisco, I ran all their public safety, homeland security uh, solution development. But I was also a senior advisor for the U.S. State Department at the same time. So I was allowed to go out and do some work with these guys. So I went to Pakistan and Turkey and, you know, fun hotspots, vacation hotspots like that. And mm-hmm. my last corporate job, as I say, you know, I was an executive at uh, Bell Labs, Alcatel, Lucent. We we're building public safety broadband. So there's always been this thread of technology through everything. But uh, yeah, I did a lot of work on uh, cybersecurity, cyberterrorism, and uh, ended up testifying before Congress on safety and security at healthcare.gov. That's kind of um, that, that's kind of, you know, where you really start seeing how the sausage is made inside the government and what things are really matter. So, you know, bring it back to that point. So, you know, so much because you've done so much, you've worked I, in different sectors and I have occupational it. ADD. I just can't keep a job, <laughs> man. I just got, got to keep moving. <laughs> Absolutely. So maybe to start the conversation, should we define some of these terms. I'm kind of, I heard someone the other day say that they're a word nerd and I wish I could remember who to give credit to, but I love that so much. Like word nerd, like cybersecurity, cyber terrorism, even information technology. Sure. From your perspective, Morgan, can you break down some of those terms? Well, look, we, we all rely upon IT, information technology. So, uh, every, you know, we're, the platform we're on right now relies on IT. You know, uh, your iPhones, your Androids rely on IT, your computers. This whole world is networked. So we rely on the information technology, the, 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 the building blocks of, of computers and servers and software. That all becomes inf- information technology. Now, how do you secure information technology? Well, that's where it used to be called InfoSec, information security. Then we realized it's not about InfoSec. Then they started trying to, it's about data. Now, somebody coined a term finally, you know, it's cyber, like in cyberspace. Well, Interestingly enough, uh, there used to be only four domains of war, sea, air, land, and space. Well, because we had advanced so much with technology and it was being used in such a way, the Air Force actually is the lead on this, but the Department of Defense said cyberspace is now the fifth domain of war. So we have sea, air, land, space, cyberspace. So what goes on in cyberspace? Terrorism. That's one of the things I was working on early on, how to identify and defeat um, communication systems, You know, uh, activities, be able to target people. Um, how do you share information uh, securely? So we moved from the IT world now to the cybersecurity world. And so so cyber terrorism is an offshoot of the definition of terrorism, but it's you know it's how you use uh, technology to commit acts. Maybe it's go after uh, dams, which we've had uh, state actors like Iran, North Korea go after our critical infrastructure, um, which by the way, 85% of the critical infrastructure in the United States is, is owned by the private sector, not the government. So we have a big way to go. So think about the things we only used to be able to do. Uh, you know, think of the 50s, right? The world has changed now. Everything's network. It used to be if you wanted to talk on the phone, you could only go as long as the cord was on your telephone. You remember those old 50 movies, right? And only three channels. I remember when there were only three channels on TV. I am definitely dating myself, right? <laughs> when we got cable, it was 13 channels, well, right? What about HBO? <laughs> oh, didn't have HBO back then. <laughs> what? Now I got now I got Netflix and Hulu and you, you know, I've watched more TV on streaming stuff. But you know, but we've seen the world. But guess what? Because we become so dependent upon technology, it's also become our biggest vulnerability. Because as we've seen at the time we're recording this, Facebook just announced a, 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 the breach happened in 2019. They said they fixed it, but they, I don't think they really ever disclosed that 533 million email addresses and phone numbers and IDs of people were harvested. Well, guess what came out over the weekend? That, and actually a friend of mine 
Saturday calls me. He was getting extorted already by one of these. Now, somebody was running a scam on him to try and extort money. I had him says, you pay me $1,000 or I'm going to release all these pictures. And I'm like, he doesn't have any pictures, but but what if he does? If, you know. So I had to talk him off the ledge, come to find out as I checked with him this morning, nothing happened. These are just scams. So the technology, the cybersecurity is supposed to keep the technology secure. And when it doesn't, guess what? Then we have hackers, scammers, and thieves that are out trying to figure out how do I steal money from you? How do I steal your identity? How do I break into the bank? You know, everything from really big things down to the things that affect the, you know, the listeners that you guys are talking about, which is, did somebody, am I a victim of ransomware? Um, has somebody used my information to commit identity theft and now I have to go back and fix it? Uh, you know, has somebody used my credentials stolen from another place and gone on and logged into something and now I'm liable, potentially liable for something. So that's the, you know, we have the whole big macro picture, but the micro picture is at the end of the day, how does it affect us? We at, we, at the end of the day, we're all consumers. We pay the price for the lack of security or the price of security. We're all paying for it um, in the end. The cost of your phone, the cost of software, everything. Well, that's terrifying. <laughs> well, look, you didn't bring me on to talk about well, law right. class. You said, let's that's talk. That's so interesting, though. Like, I've been getting all of these text message, like, spam. And it happened all yep. of a sudden. Mm -hmm. I'm just getting, like, five to ten a day. And I'm like, where did, how, what list did my phone number get either stolen or sold onto? And I haven't figured out how to get off of it, but it's like, it's even down to that. And I've, I've brought this up with so many people. So listeners, if you're like, where the hell did all of these spam, e like emails or text messages come from? I'm now thinking like, okay, what accounts do I have that have with my with phone, phone number? And that's like my it. primary contact. And I'm like, crap, that's like. It's like time to sit down and like really think about all of the accounts. Yeah. And there's this disconnect of education. I mean, I think mm -hmm. slowly the, the paradigm will shift and people will get more interested in being more preventative with their cybersecurity. But I feel really lucky. So for a quick personal share, I first learned about the terrors of cybersecurity in this world when I, I was like 24 and I dated an FBI agent who worked in the, the cybersecurity department, whatever. And he was, I mean, he was to the extreme, but he slowly introduced me to all these things to be scared of. <laughs> and so, and then I started working for GovTech and learned even more and not, and by no means am I super secure. I know there's plenty of, you know, ways that I'm, um, I'm vulnerable, but at least I get education through this, through my very strange day job. Right. But for people who have never heard about this or don't have a Morgan Wright in their world, if you're just learning about this now when things are hyper-connected as they are, it can be really scary. And I think one of the the first things that comes to mind for me, or I remember one of the first keynotes that I saw you do, Morgan, where you talked about passwords and you broke down the different like complexities and you know how long it needs to be to be secure and that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. let's talk about passwords because we all have online accounts. Lauren, you mentioned that you've had some that were hacked. And what do we need to know about passwords and protecting ourselves there? I would say what you need to know is 95% of the people listening to this, your passwords suck. <laughs> My computer reminds right? me That's, of that suck. every time I log into one of those. They're like, you're sharing this password. Because here's what, here's what you do. People use the same password for their banking and finance that they do for Twitter and Facebook and other stuff, which is a no-no, right? So the biggest, you know, um, the most popular password, actually, I remember the keynote you were talking about, Erica. Um, I, I talked about, look... Um, 
it doesn't have to be complex to come up with the complex password. People overthink it. So uh, actually, here's a freebie for your folks, freepasswordcourse.com. It's a course I built. I tested against people that I know from the NSA. I said, hey, just give me from a, just a, you know, back of the envelope, what kind, you know, how long would it take to break something like this? So if you follow my structure on freepasswordcourse.com, all I teach you is, and, and, and Lauren, I can teach Great. it to you in 60 seconds. What's your favorite food? Pizza. Say pizza. That's my favorite food, pizza. Pizza. Okay. So if I use the phrase, my favorite food is pizza, how many words in this? This is not a trick. Five. How many words in that phrase? Five, right? So pound, use a special character. Five for the number of characters in your passphrase. Use, and this, you can mix this up. Whatever formula you come up with, it's the same formula, but you'll get a different output each time. So just use capitals. M Y F A. F-O-I-S-P-I, you know, capitalize the first letter and everything. Then, to really mix it up, right, you're logging into Facebook, make it F-A, capital F, small A for Facebook, capital T, small W for Twitter. So now you know as you log in, you know you have a different password for everything. And if you really want a really, really, if you don't want to do that, you say, no, I love my password. I don't want to change it. Well, at least do this, folks. Put a space between everything. If it's ABC123, put A space, B space, C space, one space, two space, three space. Sounds like a kid's rhyme, right? So, but if you'll if you'll at least do that, you have increased exponentially the complexity of your password and make it more difficult. If not that, use up use LastPass or OnePass or some app out there that helps you generate secure passwords. But whatever you do, do not use your favorite pet's name, your date of birth, you know, your your ex mother in law, even though you'd still like her. Don't use, you know, your favorite color and stuff like that. Those, what they have is what they call, it's called the rainbow book, basically. And what they have is it's a collection of every word and every derivative, every known derivative of every word in the English language and, and foreign languages. They run this dictionary attack against passwords. And what they do is, even if you say, well, my password's encrypted, yeah, but if I take ABC123 and encrypt it, it's still a weak password. And then I, all I do is I check for the encrypted value in my dictionary, and I say XXX, you know, 569 is, means ABC123. Guess what? I found it. Now I can break your password. So that's why you want to make it extremely complex. If you'll use the formula that I just gave you, it would take five to six supercomputers running at least a million years to break your password. That. Now I know where I learned the trick to put a space in my password from you so many years ago. I, I did do that. know not to <laughs> yeah, answer. I'm I did I know not to everyone. answer the security questions with real answers. Like I have like a set of like yeah. I have a, an alternate ego that answers those security questions. But like those are so easy to guess. I could Google somebody. Well, it's called knowledge based authentication. If you log into something like even the IRS had a problem with it, the e-file system and other stuff, they'll put in pull information out of your credit bureau. And uh, you know, or things like, Did you ever live here? Did you ever live here? Well, I can do open source research on you, and in 10 minutes, I can come up with enough of you yep. that I can guess your questions. And so you are a proponent of, like, the digital password managers. In my mind, I'm like, well, what if those get hacked? Are you know, safe? what if worms had machine guns? Birds wouldn't screw with them. You know, we can, <laughs> you can, there's so, only so many things you can worry about. And here's the deal. Um, unless you are a high-value target to a nation-state actor, like, unless Erica is a, uh, which you may or may not be, if you are, don't disclose it, but you may be, you know, working as a um, non-official cover for the CIA, you know, unless you are being targeted by a hostile uh, force, you know, a hostile nation, you're the password manager in combination with two-factor authentication or multi-factor, we'll talk about in a minute, 
makes you makes you better than ninety nine percent of the people out there. Look, here's I sat in a national security briefing one time with the uh, assistant attorney general for national security for the Department of Justice. He made a statement, and it's true. Every Fortune 500 company, every single one has been breached. You don't even have the money. If I had J.P. Morgan money that they spend on just cybersecurity alone, J.P. Morgan spends $500 million a year at a minimum on cybersecurity, and they still got breached. So what does that tell you? If they want to get you, they're going to come after you. So don't sweat it. But if you will do that, what you do is you make 99.999% of all the lazy criminals, all the lazy burglars, they go to the next house. They go to the next account. They don't come after yours. And I like the theme of what you're saying, because like with everything we talk about on this podcast, sometimes if you're hearing about these things for the first time, it's overwhelming and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so behind. I have so much to do. But it sounds like you're saying, worry about what you can control. And then it's kind of like in the hands of, you know, okay, I'm going to choose secure passwords, but I'm not going to lose sleep because I might. Guess what? Act. What what could any of us have done about the Facebook vulnerability that resulted in the breach and the result? Nothing. You could, except not be on Facebook. That's the only thing you could. But if you're on Facebook, there is no way for you to have prevented the breach that resulted in the disclosure of 533 million, that's over half a billion, email addresses, phone numbers, identifiers, uh, age, you know, date of birth. So there's nothing you could have done except what I do is I never use my real date of birth on anything. Nothing. Mm. In fact, I know when somebody's selling my information because I don't have a middle name or initial. So I will put in different letters for my middle name or initial, Morgan Q, Morgan R, Morgan T, and I will see who's selling my information. Then I nuke them Boom. and I never do business with them again. <laughs> That's actually cool. And I could learn from that because I think about doing stuff like that and then I'm like, oh, but I don't want to lie. Like I have like a moral <laughs> issue. But it's, it's not true. lying. Lying is, a, you know, that's not lying. What you're doing is that you, uh, that, that is, it is a actually very acceptable uh, mechanism to create a covert operating identity for you to be able to operate online and operate safely. In other words, if there, if you lived in a neighborhood where there were 10 stalkers that lived in the neighborhood, would you feel bad about lying to somebody when you said, well, what's your name? My name is uh, Jeanette. You know, are you gonna are you gonna give a known stalker or known criminal your real information, your real address? No. So don't don't do it online. The only thing you can't do, where it really gets you into trouble, don't do it on official forms. Don't do it on government stuff, right? But mm -hmm. hey, look, I, on Facebook or whatever else, I, I never ever use my real date of birth ever. And what if you're at a point where maybe you have always been very truthful with everything? Is there a point where it's like, well, now going forward, does it make a difference if? going forward, I don't do that stuff? Or is it kind of like you're... You know, it's out there, but it's like anything else. Look, do what you can with what you have where you are. It's an old famous, you know, uh, Roosevelt saying too, look, that, that's all you can do. All you can do is all you can do. Don't worry about the little stuff. Uh, but what you can do is use good passwords, use two-factor authentication, encrypt everything, your home wireless network, turn on your encryption, encrypt your data on your laptop, on your iPad, or whatever it is you use. Just become a harder target. You know, it's like defensive driving. Don't drive with a blindfold on, wear your seatbelt, obey all stop signs, you know, speed limit signs, except when I'm in my wicked awesome 2000 Camaro Super Sport, which actually sounds really good and goes really fast, so it's hard to stay within the speed limit. But again, but the but by the way, guys, the, the yellow line in the middle of the road does not actually keep the other car on the side of the road. We all operate on trust. So at some point, you just have to trust things. But at the same time, I don't trust that that car is going to stop at the stop sign, so I always check and I make sure, right? So, uh, and I don't trust that he's going to stay on his side of the road. So as I'm driving down, I'm continuously, 
and this gets back into being a state trooper in defensive driving, I'm continuously looking, well, you know, it's not a very overt thing anymore because I'm doing it so fast, but I, I look and say, okay, if something happens, I've got this to go or I can go here. You always kind of keep an eye on traffic. It's, I, I just don't worry about it, but I always have a, you know, uh, have a plan. So when uh, different apps and things like that offer to log in through Apple ID, Facebook, Google, is should we just be creating passwords for each individual thing instead of using these like linked accounts? There, there's two, two to three ways to look at that. First of all, I use Apple a lot, and I'll tell you why. Um, not that they're a perfect company, but they don't sell your data. They're not in the uh, they're not in the data harvesting business. They are not in the ad selling business. Google, by the way, I did a uh, I did a uh, moderated a webinar one time for MIT, uh, MIT for some of you uh, folks in the Northeast. But yeah, yeah, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. That actually came from a uh, uh, one of the comedy shows. I remember her saying, "I know what MIT stands for." Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, so I, I had an ex NSA lawyer on there and we had people up there and I said, who do you fear more? The FBI, the CIA or the NSA or Facebook, Amazon, and Google. Without a doubt, everybody feared Facebook, Amazon, and Google more than anything else. Why? Cause they can, they, they are masters at collecting information about you and using that in a predictive way to understand what you're going to buy, how you're going to buy it. So to go back, I, unless it's, unless it's an issue of convenience and you understand the risk, I always, I'm glad to see Apple came out with using the Apple login because now I can have a, uh, a an alias for a email address. So it goes to a private email relay that then sends me, they never get my actual email address. Now you can find my email address. It's not that tough. I've been out there for a long time, right? But I, but it doesn't mean I have to make it easy for you. doesn't mean I have to lay down. So yeah, just do what you can with what you have, where you are. Uh, and in fact, I do that a lot of times too. I will, uh, avoid using, I never use Facebook to log in, by the way, just to let you know, because they put a pixel on it. They track everything you go, every place you go, everything you do. I never use Facebook to log in ever. Um, I will use Google sometimes because it's tied to other services that I need. But anytime I opt in, I'll type in my email address with my own password and use two-factor authentication. And just, if you just do those three things, uh, I mean, and, and encrypt, number four, encrypt. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, again, it's just like you can't do everything, but if you do those four things, those are the fundamentals. Can you explain encryption? <laughs> no, no, it's very no, Thank yeah. You. <laughs> no, all, all encryption is uh, encryption is really math. That's all. All encryption is it's math, and encryption and it used they used to have remember encryption actually used to be what they used to call substitute ciphers. So you've done encryption before when you have used Pig Latin, you know, Ed Day, you know, for Drop Dead, right? That's encryption. That's Changing something, somebody has to have a key to unlock what you did. So mathematically, you apply an algorithm to it, you know, just a mathematical formula, and you make it very difficult unless somebody has the secret to unlock it. And there's a couple types. There's what's called symmetrical encryption, which means the same key to lock it is the same key to unlock it. And then there's asymmetrical, which means uh, one key is used to encrypt, one key is used to decrypt. And that actually makes it, depending on when you're on, I'll give you an example what uh, encryption looks like. Anytime you get on a banking app and you'll see it, it'll be like a little green lock or it says HTTPS, mm -hmm. that's encryption. That's called secure socket layers or what they call now TLS, transport layer security. It just, it's a, it's a symmetrical way to where I can now, I may have never met you before, Erica, but you and I can now share a key, a secret, and have an encrypted communication between us that nobody else can listen to. If you're on WhatsApp, if you're on Telegram, if you're on uh, Signal, 
those things are encrypted end-to-end, what they call peer-to-peer. So that conversation cannot be listened in on from the outside. Again, it goes back to my password thing. It would take some uh, uh, supercomputers a lot of years to break that encryption. Very interesting. Um, What about, I wasn't sure if I needed to include this or not, but it's kind of out of my own interest. I'm familiar with the conversations I've heard in government, but what about cyber insurance? This is something I just, I bought like my general liability um, Mm -hmm. uh, insurance for my company because I'm completely virtual. I was like, okay, I'll add on cyber insurance without really knowing if it's what I like if it covers what I need to cover, but we do have um, a lot of small business owners that listen to the show and then just people who might want to protect our own personal information. So let's break down cyber insurance. What is it? Do we need it? That sort of thing. Yeah. If you have a business, a small business, uh, it's almost mandatory that you have some kind of cyber insurance on there. And I'll tell you why. Um, you're a small business and you get hit with a ransomware attack. The average attack can cost you $50,000 to recover from if you're a small business. And guess what? That's going to put most small businesses out of business. They don't have the cash reserves Mm -hmm. to go that long. So cyber insurance is uh, usually on your property and casualty. Um, It'll be a rider attached to that. I have professional liability for the work that I do as well, too. So that's part of my professional liability, Uh, my errors and emissions. So I have a $2 million uh, policy. And on that is cyber. So if anything were to happen, if if my IT systems were to get flooded, you know, if if a hacker were to break in, actually we should reuse that. Hacker actually is a really actually is not a criminal word. That's why you say there's a hack for that, right? Mm-hmm. So what we're looking at are criminal actors, you know, people who are you know criminal, uh, you know, cyber thieves, criminals, right? So um, if somebody breaks in, steals your information, or uh, accesses your bank account, drains your bank account, cyber insurance helps you recover from that. And I would say that's that's just table stakes. If you're going to have a business, you just got to have cyber insurance. It's like if you live in Kansas, where I came from, having torn having insurance because we get tornadoes. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good thing. Having a hurricane policy in Kansas, you're not going to need it, right? But everybody right. needs cyber insurance. Right, just like in California, you usually have have to get earthquake, fire. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and what about the consumer? Is there even cyber insurance? Like if I'm just a consumer and I'm like, I want to be protected if my information is, I don't even know, if, I don't know. There there actually is. And in fact, if you enroll, uh, if you, uh, most good legitimate identity theft companies have provisions in there up to a million dollars to help you recover from things like if your identity is stolen or something happens to you online like that. So um, there's really not general policies, although I do know of some major insurance companies that are offering uh, policies now really kind of tied to business, but uh, eventually I think it'll get to the consumer where you can say, Hey, look, um, I had somebody, uh, run ransomware through all my computers at home and, you know, I can't fix it. It's going to cost me too much. Then you can make a claim against the policy. I think there are some, there may be some homeowner stuff, uh, for things like that. Uh, but I'm not sure, but that's actually a good question. Yeah. Might be something I that f- will be more I feel like that prevalent has to be coming future. if it's not we'll already. I mean, just on the security issues alone for like if someone dies and you don't have their passwords, like that kind of stuff. Like there's Mm -hmm. so many instances Mm. where cybersecurity is like an individual thing. It's not just for businesses. Um, I imagine that that there's somebody Mm -hmm. out there thinking of a way to make money on that. (laughs) 
Oh, it, it, look, there there are actuaries out there, and this is what they do all day long, right? You know, actuaries can do something that's actually pretty cool. I, I don't say cool, but when you think from a predictive standpoint, they can tell you how many people each year are going to die, what age they're going to be, what race, sex, gender, everything they're going to be, um, what the cause is going to be, everything else. The only thing they can't tell you is who, right? So they can predict across a whole range of things that so many people are going to get hit with an incident that's related to cyber, and that's what they're looking at. They're saying, can we get to the point of where we can predict something to the extent is that we can now, when we offer a policy and we offer a premium, the premium is based upon a quantitative risk. We know what the risk is. We can quantify it and then offer a premium. The last thing you want to do is uh, offer an insurance policy for you know right. $1 billion for $10 a month, and then somebody makes a claim on it. You know That's, that's a bad actuary at that point. Yeah. When you've already, we've already shared some really easy hacks or whatnot, but what else do you have for us as far as tangible ways that people listening can, like maybe they're just, they're just getting started. Like what should we, what should we be looking to do? Just say no. Don't click that link. Stop. Think. (laughs) Don't click that link. I don't care what it is. I don't care who sent it to you. I'm telling you. You, you, number one, nobody has ever gotten rich off of some dude from Nigeria sending you an email saying, hey, I have $25 million waiting for you here. These text messages that you were talking about getting, Lauren, never, ever click on. I don't care how, oh, but, but what if I'm missing out? Get over it. You know, you're, the only thing you're missing out on is your account being hijacked or your phone being uh, uh, compromised with malware, mobile malware that can actually read your banking information and steal your money from you. That's what you're missing out on. I'm telling you, nobody, I've been around, uh, I'm 60 years old now. Who who would have known, man? I just turned 60 in, you know, last year. Um, Who would have known (laughs) that nobody has died from clicking a link? Yeah, you know, you don't die if you don't click a link, I should say, in an email. Didn't open that PDF. If you don't know who it comes from, just say no. You know, just say no. You know. Who is this person that sent me an invite on LinkedIn? I don't know. Just say no. I mean, I turned down a lot of invites on LinkedIn just because of that. And the ones, the, some of them that I have connected on, one of the first things somebody did was they sent me a PDF. They said, hey, I'd like you to take a look at this. I say, hey, you obviously didn't read my bio. I don't click on things like this. You know? Wrong person. <laughs> yeah, and I... I'm pretty good about really checking, especially emails, because I've gotten some really um, good ones that almost got me from, that looked like they were from Apple and PayPal. And it's like, your account's been locked. And the first instinct is like, oh no. And then you, then I always just look at the email and the from email is like some obscure thing. And it's like, okay, this is not, you know, Well, delete. I'll tell you, I got one of the most sophisticated messages from Facebook and I, I, I worked, I did this in a secure way, but I, I followed it through. And actually, it was to the point of where um, they were able to read. It looked the the URL looked real. It was Facebook.com, and it said, "Hey, your group, you know, um, we're about to cancel your page because of too many complaints. So you've got to go here." And I knew what the scam was going to be at some point. Oh, what's the name of your page? So I put in things that are like "kiss my ass." You know that that was my page name. It's not, <laughs> but that's what I put in there because I just wanted to see. So I gave it all false information, and then eventually it asked for to confirm you are who you say you are. Put your password in, and then. It knew that I had two-factor authentication, or it assumed I did. Then it said, hey, you need to enter your two-factor authentication in here. So I put KMA, KMA twice in there, you know, six six things, you know, for kiss my ass, you know, and uh, I just, because I just wanted to see, and it's, all it was, was a very sophisticated way 
to make you believe it came from Facebook. But the key thing was when it went into this form to ask you to input that information, it changed from Facebook.com to web app. Mm. And it had a thing after that. And so it's like, yeah, you know, here's the thing. If you think something has happened, like if you get a number one, banks never, uh, never say dear valued customer. They know your name, you know, and they say your credit card ending in one, two, three, four. They have definitive information. If you're concerned, go to your, the, go to the web browser yourself. Don't let it do autocomplete. Type it in yourself to know that you're actually logging into it. Log in and see if that information is correct. Mm-hmm. You know, just never click on these links in these emails. Just if, if you do one thing, just don't do that. <laughs> just quit clicking on if these it things. it feels a little off, like you get that little like fear response or like something in your body, that you're like, this looks weird. Like, trust it. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably weird because we're logging on. We're in these apps all the time. We don't even think about how well we know how yeah. they work. So when something is a little bit askew, you're going to notice it and mm-hmm. you got to trust that thing that you noticed. Well, here, this takes it back to the days of the caveman and cave woman. What, you know what the number one function of the brain is? To keep you alive. That's it. Back in the days, that's all it was that you were saying, I see teeth. Is that thing going to eat me? Should I stay or should I go? You know, you know that you know your ancestors. Yeah. You know the reason you're here is because some of your ancestors decided to run, not stay. That's why you're alive today, right? So it's fight or flight. So our brain has been hardwired to sense danger or to sense something's off. When it happens, you got to listen to that thing because there is a there is a biological reason for that that goes back thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's the brain's only activity is to sense danger. It's to keep you alive. So when you get that little nagging thing in the back of your head, I'm telling you, listen to it. Do not, um, do not click on that link. And say, but, but, but maybe, maybe, maybe I will get free tickets to the final four. Well, so if you miss out on the final four and the free tickets, guess what? You know how many people got scammed by that? You know, so, you know, somebody will point to it and say, hey, but, but this really worked over here. Look, a, a stuck. You know, a, a stuck clock is right, you know, once every 24 hours, right? You know, if I stand on a street corner long enough, say, hey, there's going to be an accident here someday, there probably will be. Why? Because the law of large numbers says that's going to happen. That doesn't prove that you should have clicked on that link or, you know, answered that email. Mm-hmm. And it kind of comes back to this instant gratification. We want everything to be easy. So it's like, oh, free things or I just don't want to put in, this, in the work to secure my passwords or have a password for Every account, because I mean, what's the average number of accounts that people have these days? I imagine it's pretty high. I don't know what that number is. Well, but. I will tell you that I have, uh, and if you were, if you were the FBI and you were raiding my place and looking for my passwords, you wouldn't find any of them written down anywhere. Um, I have probably over fifty different passwords that I use, you know, for different accounts because I do. I mean, to the extent that I can, I use a different password for every single thing I do. You know. Just, and when you, you know, sy- when you systemize it, like you were talking about earlier, that can become it doesn't less need to be documented as, as like and physically if you have a system, yeah. like you said, you have your. Oh yeah, formula. it is. It's really it's it's simple. My favorite food is pizza. What am I logging into? TW for Twitter, CA for your your bank if it's Capital One, uh, uh, BA for Bank of America. It doesn't matter. I mean, and you could sw- it doesn't have to be in that order. You could start off with the two letters for the resource you're logging into, then your special number character and number, and then your passphrase. It doesn't matter. Just, you know, mix them up. Uh, uh, you know, it, again, and if you don't want to use that, then use an app. But whatever you do, do not use the same password over and over again. Encrypt everything. Don't click on links. 
uh, and to your point, is this whole thing we the instant gratification has changed. I remember, um, you know, waiting for, uh, you know, having to make phone calls where there was no mobile phone, and you just have to wait till you get somewhere, you know, and call. Now you see people out on the road texting because they, oh, I, I got to get this done now. And yet, I will tell you, uh, there, there wasn't around in my day. But I worked many, many accidents, many fatalities of people mm. who were distracted and doing other stuff. And the number one distraction in driving these days is these folks who think, I got to know now. I got to know now. I'm telling you right now, you did nothing on this earth is worth you finding out whether or not this text is for you or the you know, link or sending the right emoji for somebody and you run into the back of a tractor trailer at 50 miles an hour. So that's called that's called modern natural selection. Uh, Darwinism has its place. You know, the gene pool does thin out every now and then. And that goes back to your ancestors, right? Who survived? The ones who ran. The ones who were not crotch gazing while driving. That's right. This is a random question, but before we get to the last one, but what's the most obscure way you've seen like a company get hacked or a person or something? Because I'm I'm thinking specifically of one story I've heard you tell, but you know, people think, oh, it's just you know, information technology virtually through my computer, but people can gain access to systems through devices and things. But what's kind of like a a standout story that comes to mind with that? So I actually, I, for a year, I trained the FBI on computer crime investigation. And before that, I was teaching at a course. And uh, a couple of the guys that came through the FBI agents actually were the ones that caught Kevin Mitnick, who became, quote, the world's most famous hacker. And he's still out there now. He's, He's part of a company called Know Before. And they do a lot of stuff with security and awareness training. And you know who I'm talking about, Erica, the mm-hmm. company. Um, so one of the things he did was um, back in the day when you had um, servers that you had to update, you would wait, and they would mail you three and a half inch floppy disks with the latest update of Novell software at that time, or it could be Microsoft uh, Exchange Server. But you would wait. And so what he did was he just took a set of disks, diskettes, in, took one of them and put put a backdoor into it, put malicious code, put a backdoor into it, shrink wrapped it, and sent it to the system administrator. What's the first thing the system administrator does? Installs it. Oh, I got an update. Great, here we go. So they install the update, and then when things started happening and information started disappearing, oh <laughs> gosh, we got to you know something happened. I better reinstall. So what did they do? They found the backdoor. They got rid of it. Then they would reinstall it again right from the diskette set because they trusted the diskette set. Now, I'm not sure if that's the story you were after, Erica, or if there was another one. Which um, is the one you were well, thinking the, of? The printer. Oh, like the print some... cartridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, um, um, I forget. <laughs> you'll, you'll never use an inkjet cartridge again after this. So, you know, really what it was is that um, there is a company out here in Northern Virginia, because I can throw a stone and I can hit many of the intelligence communities uh, out here, the agencies. Uh, so, um, in the, uh, one of the ways that a compromise happened was you go, you go to, I mean, when you need an ink, you, when you need a print cartridge for your inkjet printer, what do you do? You just open up the package, stick it in there, right? Well, if you have an HP printer or an Epson, right, and you put in genuine stuff, how does it know it's a genuine HP cartridge or a genuine Epson print cartridge? Because on that, that little metal contacts that you see there is code, and that code tells it, hey, this is a genuine cartridge. Well, on that same metal contacts there, that uh, brass that you see, I can also put the first line of code that allows me to get a toehold, just a toehold, into your system. And then what I do, it's the way they used to build bridges. And I don't know if you ever know how they built bridges, but how do you, how do you build a big bridge 
like, a, you know, one of the big rope bridges and stuff over a, a, a gorge. Well, what you do is you start off with an arrow and a very small, lightweight string and you shoot it over. Then you take that very small, lightweight string and you tie it to a bigger string. And then you take that bigger string and tie it to an even bigger one. Pretty soon you go from a little piece of thread to a three-inch, you know, hemp rope that you use now. To, so how do you build it? Same thing with this, just a little thing. So that's what they did is they put code into this. So there is a company out here now that all they do... They take a pair of needle nose pliers and every piece of office equipment that comes in, they break those things off so that when you put them in, there is absolutely no way that any code can run on that print jet or inkjet cartridge. And it has happened, and, and I'm not giving away any secrets because this is in the public domain, but I will tell you, I know one of the people who did that. Um, and it was wicked awesome, man. I mean, it's like, that's think that's you want to talk about thinking outside the box. That's thinking outside the box. Yeah, a lot of those movie plots are based on real happenings. Well, so actually CNN reached out to me. Um, I did a piece for them on when the Bond movie came out, Skyfall, and it talked about the ability to mess with critical infrastructure. make the, So I did the whole analysis for them on the movie um, about could this really happen? I said, yeah, yeah, it could. And it has, you know. Now, whether they could make it jump the tracks exactly right there to go through the wall and kill somebody, that's Hollywood, right? Um, but on the other hand is, could I shut down uh, a power plant and uh, take out power to 700,000 homes? Yeah. December 23rd, 2015, Russia did it to Ukraine, the Zaporizhia hydroelectric plant, first attack of dark energy. Not only did they take out the power plants, they took out the backup power to the power plant. So when the power plants failed and they went to the backup power, even the backup power was messed with. Uh, you should have seen the things they did. I mean, that, that's a whole nother, actually, that's a briefing I do called uh, Cyber Strike Warfare in the Fifth Domain. I show how Russia will invade Ukraine in the future. And I hate to tell you this right now. Uh, I mean, you talk about being prescient, and I'm not Nostradamus. Guess what's happening right now? Russia is massing forces on the Ukrainian border. Um, they have a buildup in the Arctic, and there very well could be a conflict with Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine because they've already annexed Crimea. One of the first things they will do is launch a cyber war, take out their power, if you want to bring a nation to its knees, you go after two things, power and water. If I take out, if I took out all your power and water where you were yeah. living at, uh, mean, Lauren, how long would it be before people were riding in the streets? That's what happened in Texas with no a natural power, no disaster. Water. I mean, like you take For their water. Weeks. I mean, For seriously, though, like we saw how quickly that situation devolved. Yep. And it was, you know, a, a winter storm. Think about when it's done with intention, malicious intent. I mean, like, sure, that would it wouldn't take yep. long to totally up, uh, you know, overturn all kinds of social systems and people getting all bent out of shape. Wow. That was a really, Which really fun run. Anyway, sorry, Erica, <laughs> I digress. Let's go back to something fun. Well, and, the, and that's just the beginning too. I mean, we could talk about like, don't pick up flash drives at conferences when conferences are a thing again, like know where you're getting like, the, Oh, I'm sorry. They Quick are. story on that. I was at RSA conference in San Francisco and I'm walking around the floor and I come around and I'm actually talking to some friends of mine. Actually, one of the guys I talked to at the National Security Agency booth, I used to teach behavior analysis at, at the National Security Agency. And one of the guys I ran into, I said, do you know this guy? I go, yeah, his son works for me. So we got to talking and everything. And he said, hey, by the way, hey, would you like one of these things? So it was like a USB hub. And you could, I said, you're the freaking NSA. I'm not taking anything from you. Then I turn and I go around the corner and here's this Chinese company saying, would you like a flash drive? You guys are killing me. Who does your marketing? No, no, no. Yeah, it's, and I saw a keynote once, once I think from someone at IBM where she just shared stories where like seven-year-olds are creating code in a flash drive where like when you plug it in, then your screen is overtaken by like 
rubber duckies bouncing around. And it's cute and funny, but it's like, okay, a seven-year-old did that. Like, what what could someone with malintent do with that sort of thing? So it is just- You know what's worse than a seven-year-old doing that, Erica? (laughs) Is somebody taking a flash drive from a seven-year-old and plugging it into a machine. It's like, if I don't- Think about this. What did I just do? I just gave a, I just gave a flash drive to a seven-year-old and said, hey, go give this to your mommy. Tell her it's something you worked on in school. It's our secret, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can now use a seven-year-old kid to get you to input uh, information on your home computer and take over your <laughs> network. Don't trust seven-year-olds. I'm telling you. Don't trust seven-year-olds. Don't That's trust them. hack number 10. Um, so to kind of round everything out, Morgan, where where is the world of cybersecurity going and what, I mean, you mentioned some stuff about Russia and Ukraine, but maybe mm-hmm. on a more practical level, like where, what do we need to be aware of and, and think about in the future with cybersecurity? I just think you have to, you just have to, you have to stake up, take a step back and say, do I really need my refrigerator connected to the internet? Does Thank my you. life depend <laughs> upon having some grocer know that I'm low on milk and it can automatically order for me, right? Because that's a, that's an intrusion into your home. I disconnected every speaker I have, uh, Google, Alexa. I don't use any of those anymore. You know why? Mm -hmm. Because they listen in. As much as they say they don't, they do. They're in the data harvesting business. um, And at time and time again, we found those things. So you you just have to decide how connected do you want to be. And I've seen many people, especially during COVID, finally said, look, can't take it anymore. I'm off Facebook, I'm off Twitter, whatever else, you know. I see people uh, dumbing down their smartphones or going from a smartphone to a stupid phone and just saying, I don't need all of this stuff. I just need, uh, I'll send a text message and make a phone call and that's only the capability I want, you know? So, you know, it's hard to say where it's going to go. I can tell you, um, unless we start spending money to modernize our IT infrastructure, again, it goes Mm -hmm. back to the roads and bridges in a sense. We're going to spend a lot of money to modernize roads and bridges, but there's no money in this $1.9 trillion proposed budget or whatever it is now, two point, whatever, to spend money to modernize our IT infrastructure. And guess what? Roads, bridges, dams, guess what they all rely upon? IT infrastructure, your dams, the systems, the sensors that monitor the water and the level of chlorine and everything else, guess what they depend upon? IT systems. This thing we're on right now depends upon IT systems. Mm -hmm. Your stoplights depend upon IT systems. Public safety First responders rely upon IT systems. Why we're not modernizing that? And, and, and it's not an R&D thing. I talk ones and zeros, not R's and D's. I've been on national news. I've done over 500 segments on the national news on different things. I tell people I do ones and zeros, not R's and D's. I don't care. I, I, I don't care who's in office. I've had a critique of every administration since 2000 on the way they've handled certain things in cybersecurity. You know, so at the end of the day, it's, it's just being neutral down the middle, say this is the way it ought to be. This is instead what you're doing. And I will tell you, we, if we don't start spending money on this, what will happen is we will become extremely vulnerable, and you will see nations like Russia, which, by the way, the whole solar winds, people may have heard about that. I will give you one last clue here. That's actually, what they did was a military preparation. It's called IPB, Intelligence Preparation of the Battlefield. They're collecting information about our vulnerabilities and where we can be hurt, not to use today or tomorrow, but at some point in the future. So if they decide to launch something against Ukraine, guess what else they're going to do? They're going to find out where's the USA vulnerable and keep us distracted with things like that while they do an incursion into Ukraine and eventually take over the country, which is their whole goal anyway. They started with Crimea. Uh, now it'll be uh, Ukraine. Yeah, And that's and think, why modernizing is so important. Yeah. And I think my favorite thing about what you just said is that hopefully and maybe as consciousness expands and up levels that there might be this sort of regression of 
do we need to be hyper-connected? Like you said, do I need my refrigerator connected to the internet? Because I'm really aware of that. Like if I don't have to have, I don't have any Alexas or whatever, um, I I have a Nest, like that's my one like really luxury or whatever. I like having that connected to the, to the internet, but I I like the simplicity of, I mean, I think I was meant to be born in, you know, an earlier time when things were more simple because especially as someone who works with people who deal with anxiety and burnout, one of the things I share is delete the apps you don't need off your phone. Like get rid of the yeah. digital clutter. Make things simple because when we're constantly bombarded with notifications and all this stuff, it makes life, mm-hmm. life more stressful whether oh, we know I, it or not. I will tell you, that's another trick. You want to do that? I turned off all notifications. Oh, yeah. Just I because you send me an email way. does not make it my emergency. No. So no notifications. I did that last Except month. calendar invites from you guys for the show. That's <laughs> I allowed that notification. I took a Amen. whole month off of social media in March. And I'm having, I'm really having like almost like an ethical, moral struggle on how to re-enter that space because it was such a reprieve. It took a solid like 10 days for me to detox myself and like go mm-hmm. through the withdrawal. You like keep reaching for go it. Go through the withdrawal. <laughs> like I would think about it. I turned all my notifications off. I took all my social media off my phone. I even took my email off my phone, checked my email, had to be sitting at a computer to do it. I partook in no uh, news media, which was a big change i didn't realize how much anxiety oh yeah i was creating with that but like i'm i'm really like giving some thought to how connected do i really want to be not have to be because there's a difference like there's that's the messaging is like i'm being told how i should have i should or have to be but that's not i get to decide that that's not somebody anybody can tell me yeah and i will tell you one other thing for parents out there if you're listening and you've got children do not, under any circumstances, give them access to social media before they're 13. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's this Facebook Messenger for kids. I'm telling you, the suicide rate has gone up dramatically for children, and social media is, is the number one cause of that. I did a whole study, and I tracked the rise of social media with the increase in suicide. Uh, uh, murder used to be the number one cause of death for boys age 13 to 17. Guess what it is now? Suicide. You know, and accidents are still way up there. And I will tell you the other thing too. This is going to offend some people, um, but that's what I'm here to do um, in a in a nice, friendly way. If you use TikTok, folks, you better just understand every bit and bite of your information. I don't care what they say is going back to China. China is tracking this. This is part of one of their influence operations and campaigns. I see people in groups that I'm at that are in national security groups and, and military groups, and they're using TikTok. And I'm going. You know, this is part of the other thing too. Oh, I have to be on it because everybody's on it. No. You understand at some point the wolf will come knocking at the door. And when they do, they will have all sorts of information about us. And one of the ways they collect it is social media. Yeah. And one of the things that I actually, this morning when I was doing like my March recap, I'm an epic journaler. But in my bullet journal, I was doing like my what I learned in March and da da da. And what I one of the big takeaways was, um, my life is actually so much simpler, and more peaceful and joyful without social media. And it's like, what's going to happen if I don't go back? The answer is nothing. Nothing will happen. Oh yes, it will. You will sleep better. You will have sounder sleep. You will enjoy better relationships. It's not like it's not like my business will will suffer. You know, like. So I'm like, what if I do that? And what's funny about that is I used to teach social media. I used to teach online marketing. 
I, you know, it's so it's just a huge shift when you allow yourself to consider the other perspective. So listeners, I challenge you, if this conversation has made you uncomfortable. Yeah. Good. It's an addiction. Like, let's like think take a moment to just think about what made you uncomfortable, why it made you uncomfortable, and what you want to do to like look into that a little bit further for yourself. Don't click the link. Don't click the don't link. Don't click the link. And don't share your social security number and tell your parents. Hey, by the that way, too. if you do go into a place that says we have to have your social security number, say why? What 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 is the what is the state or federal reason that you need my social security mm. number? And if I don't provide it, what will you do? And if I do provide it, how do you protect it? Right? So push back. Don't 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 be a sheeple, you know? Don't be a lemming. Don't follow along because everybody else does. Think critically, uh, you know, evaluate it for yourself and just ask questions. Why? Why? Question why do you why do you everything. need this? Yeah. Question yes. everything. You sound like an anarchist there, Erica. Question everything. <laughs> we pay him. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, she's a burnout recovery coach, and that's what everyone should yeah. be doing, because that's how we get burnt yep. out. <laughs> Morgan, what is your all-time favorite life hack? And it doesn't have to be related to IT. Like just anything. All-time favorite life hack. Um, actually, it's what I picked. It's the way I convinced my daughter because I got we've got five kids. The youngest uh, now is married, and uh, her my son-in-law is a marine, formerly on active duties. But when she was the youth and younger, trying to get her, I it just I found a way to use my training as a detective to get her to brush her teeth. And so one of my favorite life hacks was, "Are you sure?" I brush my teeth. Are you sure? <laughs> uh, well, let me go check. So they, and then you come back. Are you sure? Yes. If I go check your toothbrush, will it be wet? Uh, when I, then she'd come back with a wet toothbrush. I said, if I go smell your toothbrush, will there be toothpaste? And then one time she said, yeah. And I held up the toothpaste tube that I had behind my hand by back. And I said, going to be a little difficult to brush your teeth without the toothpaste, right? Ooh, so, you know, but, but, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's a life hack, but I, what I did is I learned, I found a way to learn a lot of things like that and just make it fun. You know, mm-hmm. don't, don't make it confrontational, but I don't think there's any, you know, over, over 60 years, you kind of realize that there's a lot of things out there that I, I haven't, you know, probably what I'll figure out my favorite life hack, maybe, you know, next year, you know, I found a new way to ride on my uh, Pel- I have a Peloton and I have an outdoor bike, so I changed seats because somebody said, "Hey, you got to have this new kind of seat," and it it makes a big difference. And I'm like, "Wow, you know." So I tell you, the biggest life hack I think is just the constant learning, upgrading the systems, upgrading the, and never be afraid thing. to ask why, and never be af- you know ask for people's opinion too. One of the best things too is uh, you know get into good conversation. Somebody said, you know, what is your train of thought? How did you arrive at that? What was mm-hmm. the way when you came to that decision? What did you think of to get there? And just really have a good conversation, you know? So I think the best life hack is to never have a best life hack is to always be in search of the next best one That's and find out what's going to make your life better. Uh, not easier because we, we equate easy. Uh, there, there is no, you know, there is no shortcut to success, right? There's, you can't, you didn't wake up one morning, Erica and Lauren say, hey, we're going to have a business and we already have a million followers and uh, we got, you know, $500,000 in the bank. If it was that easy, everybody would be doing it, right? There are no shortcuts. That's maybe the biggest life hack right there. There are no short, no shortcuts to success. As Ringo Starr said in his song, if you want to sing the blues, you got to pay your dues and you know it don't come easy. <laughs> well, Morgan, thank you so much again for taking the time to share your knowledge with us. What's your favorite, how, how can people connect with you? What's your favorite way for, where can they find you if you wanted to be found? <laughs> 
<laughs> I am on the internet. It's if you can't find me, you're not trying hard enough. No, it's uh, morganwright.us, M-O-R-G-A-N-W-R-I-G-H-T.us is my main website. I kind of I'm behind on updating it with some of the articles I used to write for a national publication, um, but transitioning over. But yeah, that or at morganwright underscore us on Twitter. Um, one of my favorite ways uh, to uh, you know chat with people, and I'm on LinkedIn too. If I if I know you or if I recognize you or if I see that we have a good healthy body number of connections, um, that's the other way I connect too. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Well, thank you again so much. And thanks to everyone who listened in. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Share it with someone. Give it five stars. Five Five stars. stars at least. Five stars. And share this with anyone who needs to learn about cybersecurity, which is everyone. So share it with everyone you know. And don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe. And don't forget to (laughs) stay curious. Stay curious. Disclaimer. This podcast is produced for your universal listening pleasure. Any statements shared during our program are opinions and experiences of our team and guests. If you disagree with any content presented herein, please find another show before submitting nasty grams. This is a positive vibes only platform. If you love our show and want to connect, share your experiences, or know someone who we should interview on future episodes, please don't hesitate to get in touch through our website or Instagram. Thanks for listening to this program brought to you by Daydreamer Network. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform. Your feedback allows us to rank on the best new shows list and continue to grow our podcasts in order to bring more unique and talented storytellers to the network. To check out our shows, including programs about relationships, sports, business, nutrition, leisure, and more, head to www.daydreamernetwork.com. We look forward to seeing you back next week for another great episode. Have a wonderful day.